Welcome to A Raw Perspective, A Fresh Point of View. I'm your host, Richard Anthony Wallace, coming to you for a 40th time. This is episode 40, marking my years on this earth, which is 29 years. I am less than a week away before turning the pinnacle age of 30. And this is a culmination of my 29 years of existence. Looking back, reflecting, seeing the the good, the bad, ups, downs, positives, negatives. And this podcast is more on a reflective basis. Looking at it I'm I'm very grateful to be 29 years old first and foremost as a black man in the United States of America the the average age of black folks from the song um, it was one of Kanye's songs we wasn't supposed to make it past 25 and here I am 29 years old still Still existing in a world, in a country that doesn't appreciate or respect or respect the black bodies that help build this country. Uh, going from black men, black women, black trans individuals, just black, what whatever intersectionality that you have. It's that culmination of you being a black individual that has America afraid of you. And it's fucked up when you really think about it. My 29 years of existence and me thankful to be 29 because I could have been slain. Like all of these names that we have seen through the media. And I could go through the entire list of all these names, but it's it's too it's too many. And it's 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 sad. It's it's disheartening to know that I've made it and others that haven't reached twenty nine heaven I'm grateful I am blessed to be 29 but realizing that others didn't have that same opportunity just to exist now if you truly know me and know the person that I am and the character that I bring out each and every day I do not sugarcoat I do not lie to your face. I am as open and honest as I can be when it comes to life because I've never wanted to be an individual to screw anybody over. I've never wanted to screw anybody over. I've never had a hidden agenda to be 
mean or evil to anyone that comes across my life. This can deal with friendships or relationships. I have never been an individual that has malice or hate towards people. There, there can be definitely frustrations. There will always be frustrations and challenges because as human beings, things might not click the way you want it to click. But I have no ill will or hatred towards any person. If you treat me with respect, I'm going to treat you with the utmost respect as well. That's how I was raised. That's how we can start this journey. I was born July 3rd, 1990, in a suburban town called Elmhurst, Illinois. I believe I was born at 624 in the morning, because I believe that's the same time my mom wakes my ass up every single year on my birthday. Well, at, as long as I can remember, at 624, saying... This is when your ass was born. <laughs> uh, and I, I am grateful to have been born on July 3rd. I was born to a two-parent household. I did not know of any prior things that had transpired because I frankly don't remember anything since my existence. I think my earliest memory is, is three years old. But during that span of time, I did not know of my father's previous relationships, which brought in my, my older brother, Kyle. I didn't know of my mom's previous relationship, which brought in my oldest brother, Lamar. I just assumed I just came from a, a good family. Then we just had these two brothers. And, you know, as I grew up, you know, I knew what a half brother is, but... Even as half-brothers, they are still my brothers. And I am grateful for that. I look at the privilege that I, I come from. The, a two-parent household, two loving parents. I never had to struggle to get what I wanted. I look at the sacrifices that my parents had put in for me to be where I am today. I remember the hours that my dad had put in at the job, my mom providing that caring, nurturing spirit and that discipline, as well as my father teaching me how to be a good man in this world, treating others with respect, being kind. Those are some of the things that I was taught, and that's how I, it shaped and molded me into the person that I am today. As I was growing up, I was probably a hellion. Uh, I was definitely spoiled. I can, I can let you know that I was spoiled rotten. I was the youngest in the household. Of course I was going to be spoiled. I had an older brother that's 12 years older than me. I had my mother and my father. Practically, I had three adults as I grew up surrounding me. So anything that I needed and anything that I wanted, I got. And I'm very 
lucky and very privileged to have experienced that sort of treatment and love. And I also appreciate and respect my parents putting me in situations that would make me humble and I would express humility. Sure, I had these privileges, but I had cousins that grew up in the inner city and I would go visit those cousins. Those are my cousins on my mother's side and experience what are some of the challenges that they have to experience. Shopping while black, being persecuted while black. And this is me being a young kid, like six, seven years old, going to the local corner store to get candy for us, being watched by shop owners saying, don't steal from us. Those are some of the things that, as a child, it's not what you expect to, to hear from an adult. This is me slowly learning about systematic oppression, the racist world that we live in, and I'm just a child trying to buy some candy to get some cavities in my mouth, because that's what kids do. I I look at the things that have transpired with with people telling their stories about being sexually assaulted and you know dealing with people especially like family members touching them I never experienced that because my parents had told me if anybody touches you let them know like if anybody tries to touch you just let us know um and I was a blab mouth and I would always tell <laughs> tattletale or not tattletale but but tell if, if something was going on because my parents had instilled in me saying that no one can t- no one can hurt me I'm invincible and this is me as a child thinking that my parents were invincible and fortunate enough that I did have my parents during my childhood to show that level of invincibility um, so growing up as a child they wanted the best for me. And then we moved from Elmhurst to Addison and then Addison to Bloomington, Illinois, which is southern Illinois. It's a bit country for my taste. And dealing with being the only black family on the block in the new neighborhood that they just built. Kids don't really look at race. When I was six, I mean, I knew I was you know, person of color, but when we're kids, we're just kids, just trying to enjoy ourselves, you know, getting the mini fights about, oh, you're playing with this toy too long, and (laughs) funny things like that, getting in trouble for that, I've never experienced levels of racism until I got, you know, older, I was the only black person in our Cub Scout unit, Boy Scout unit, the only black person on, on the t-ball team, <laughs> the only black person everywhere, and it was a pretty receptive community, and 
living in this level of utopia in Bloomington, I didn't really experience racism. I knew what race was because I remember when my parents were moving and trying to put me in a school district, in the public school district, uh, the one in Bloomington, I would have been the only black male, I think the black, only black student, period, at that school. And my parents were not trying to have that, have me the being the only black person in the school. So my parents did another sacrifice and I went to Trinity Lutheran, which was a private school. And I, I went there and there was a multitude of children of color. But this is me... No, six, seven, not realizing what these things were. Growing up, I, I had bullies, can name them, but probably don't remember me anyway. I used to cry a lot. I used to, used to not stick up for myself, and people used to just walk all over me. And that, that was for a while. I, I, I was never the most popular individual in in any of my communities never was popular didn't get girls wasn't star athlete wasn't any of that i i was just me no i was probably a little bit annoying i was a little annoying i was a little quirky wouldn't say i was like overly weird but I wasn't part of the in crowd. Um, I wasn't doing anything to put myself in that in crowd. Uh, growing up, yeah, made fun of time and time again. Really got made fun of when I moved to Aurora, Illinois, when my dad got the job as a State Farm agent back in 1998. 1999, moving there, coming to a new school, uh, getting bullied. I remember, I think it was like third grade, and this is like so dumb of me. This was like right before Columbine. I said I was going to bring a gun to school and shoot everybody because they were, kept picking on me, and then one of the girls told on me, and yeah, I had to go see the principal and, and whatnot. And Yeah, I remember I remember that. Hey, they got me in the office, I'm just crying. I'm crying, I'm crying, I'm crying. That was a, a traumatizing experience for me. I didn't mean it. It's getting made fun of. I was tired of getting made fun of. But it's always the white kids. It's always the white kids that were making fun of me. Yeah, some black kids too, especially at church. There was a couple, especially the ladies in church, the black women in church, that made fun of me. Just couldn't get a break. Uh, was was made fun of for I don't know a bevy of reasons for for the way that I, I dressed. I wasn't dressed like like in today's like hip hop era. Didn't know, really know, like, what fashion was or, or dressing. So I wasn't hip to that. Didn't start listening to uh, 
hip-hop until about 7th grade because that's when everybody was getting converted over 6th, 7th grade. Even the white kids were getting into gangsta hip-hop. Yeah, I was like, shit. And anytime the white kids would be like, I'm blacker than you. Does something in your soul, in your psyche. It's like, how are you blacker than me even though in today's society, if you were blacker than me, you would have to go through the same issues, the same strife, the same struggle that I have to. Uh, so this is when I started to realize what racism was, oppression was, all these things. I was I couldn't hang out with the black kids because I was too weird for them. I couldn't hang out with the white kids because they would make fun of me. I didn't really have too much of a a social network of individuals that I would go to. I mean, the people that I did hang out with, we would call ourselves like the United Nations. So I had like a Mexican friend, Mexican white friend, white friend, um, Vietnamese friend, and that that was us and a black black friend, but we weren't like super duper popular or any means or anything from there growing up i was a follower trying to follow different trends trying to follow what was cool (sighs) didn't really have a sense of identity as i was growing up i remember one of the black girls called me ugly to my face i was at their house i was having i was like trying to fit in and whatnot and then she just called me you just really ugly really ugly it's like damn and I, and I, that was hurtful and then I was a little bit overweight so I dealt with body image issues in this culmination of my life you know never really having a a true friend and the friends that I, I thought I had or perceived friends that I had they would either make fun of me and I guess I would just take it because I just wanted that level of, of attention and and love and respect, even though I knew it's toxic. Just trying to fit in. Going through middle school, just pegged. Never made the basketball team in my entire existence. I tried to make the seventh grade team. I got cut. Eighth grade team, I got cut. Freshman team, didn't make it. Tried for sophomore year, and then I knew my basketball career was done. All the times playing for, like, rec league or summer league, where everybody gets to play. (sighs) My hoop dreams were over. Playing baseball, t-ball, whatever. That was over. The only sport that I did do was lacrosse, and the friends that I had at the time were playing lacrosse, and I wanted to play, just to say I played some high school sport. So I did that my junior year of high school, JV team, only black person on the team besides coach. Coach was the only black person on the team, but he was from the East Coast, from West Islip, New York. Played at Ohio State. Uh, he he played lacrosse. Um, yeah, it, it was times. I mean, I've I've heard racial things during my time playing lacrosse. 
It's a lot. It's a lot during that time. I mean, growing up, though, I did have that, that family support. I did have my mother and father that were there for me for everything. The things that I did do that were, were positive in, in my life. I, I used to help with children with special needs uh, back in middle school called uh, Peer Buddies, Best Buddies. Uh, working with the students that did have special needs. I got a reward for that, for you know, being a kind individual, helping out others that society thinks are perceived as different. But in reality, it's just a different method on how they need to learn. But they're, they're, they're individuals as well. And trying to help them have a good experience in a world that doesn't perceive them as part of the quote-unquote normal society, but what is normal anymore? I I did that. Uh, I was always kind and opening doors for for the elderly when we were going going into the the, the store, saying you need any help with your groceries. Those are some of the things as a child that I would do because I had a kind heart. I still have a kind heart. Just trying to make sure that everybody is taken care of before I even take care of myself. It's the it's the type of spirit that I have growing up. Even in middle school, going through that hell. I mean, it wasn't as bad. I remember I almost got into a fight with one of the football players. One of the football players over here used to make fun of me. Like blindside tackled me in one of the fields over here did a lot of mean shit to me but he had issues as well growing up he had he had challenges so i can't blame blame him for the outlet so i was the punching bag for his outlet and it is what it is sad but yeah he's a big ass bully man fucking bully uh, yeah, that wasn't cool. I think the coolest things that had transpired during that time was going to the Bulls games with my dad. Being able to experience Bulls game, went to a Cubs game, went to the White Sox game. Never went to a Bears game or to a Blackhawks game. I've never been to a hockey game. Still would like to go to a hockey game, but haven't done that yet and yeah who knows maybe maybe in my 30s I'll be able to do something like that but yeah being able to experience that joy with my dad going to sporting events was something that we used to do we would watch TV watch the games and experience that that was that was great that was a great time even experience like things with my my mom being able to watch movies together. Uh, when we had to do like a massive cleanup, even though we didn't want to do it, we would play music. We'd be dancing. Family vacations were great. I I really loved and appreciated the times that I was with my family. The last family vacation that we did do was when we went to Kansas City for a family reunion. And got to show them 
the campus of University of Kansas where I did my graduate program there and see how much it changed. But I do remember during grad school that my dad got to experience going to one of the basketball games with University of Kansas and Oklahoma State. That was when Marcus Smart was playing. And we had Joel Embiid, Andrew Wiggins, Frank Mason on the squad, and this was the revenge game. <laughs> uh, my dad got to experience that that level of electricity and energy, and he said that's uh, a feeling that he would never forget, and he'll take that to his grave, and he did. Uh, I'm glad that he got to experience that. Another thing, going back, another happy moment was during my senior year, got to do the Botillion. Botillion is considered, it's not a debutante ball. It's a cotillion, but for men, where we would provide manners and proper etiquette, learning how to do formal dancing, minuet waltz, and then a little hip-hop dance. And then we would do stepping to pay homage to the brothers of Alpha Alpha Trade Incorporated, even though a Sigma taught us how to step. So <laughs> I will appreciate that. A Sigma taught us how to step, and we stepped we stepped our asses off that day. That was another highlight moment. Uh, had a great bell, like a, the escort that was with me. Uh, she's about to have a kid now. So shout out to you, future baby, for there, and congratulations on your union. I believe you're getting married soon, so shout out to that. But the Botillion was a happy moment for my dad, myself, and my mother. We worked so hard to get that scholarship fundraiser. We sold tickets for tables, like ads for the booklet, and one of the cool things about Mr. Botillion was after their first year they would take a give a speech to the bows of the following year about the first year of their college experience so seeing that i I had an opportunity to get out i went to a hbcu went to hampton everybody knows this story if you've been listening into episode 40 of this and you knew that was probably one of the worst times of my life having a curfew still getting made fun of getting made fun of the the east coast kids man i could not get a fucking break my god it's like shit i'm just tired of getting made fun of (sighs) made fun of in college like fuck i thought this was a way to change my like new identity and shit no, it's it was frustrating. It was challenging. And at 18 years old, I thought about killing myself. And I've said this time and time again. I was going to drown myself in uh, Hampton Bay. They would have had a dead-ass student on their hands. But one of my RAs, he saved my life. And that is why I'm here talking 11 years later about my 29 years of existence. It's those, it's those moments that, that make or break you. And that was one of those moments that make or break me. I was just, I was tired. I was exhausted. I was, the, the culmination of that 18 years, it wasn't 
pretty. Uh, everybody was telling me it's going to get better, but it felt like it was never going to get better. It never got better. It never got better. Never did until that moment. And then I started to find myself and find out who I was. After my freshman year, I, you know, talked to the girl that had a crush on me, I thought, and I had a crush on her. And then I asked her out and it was one of the greatest summers that had ever transpired. And I'm my first girlfriend at 19 years old and she was about to go to college too. And we did the whole long distance relationship thing and it worked for two and a half years and then broke my heart. Said she wanted a break and there it was and then the break became a breakup. And that that was a devastating time during that span of my life. I was what, twenty? Twenty years old? Remember it happened in November and I know November is like a sore subject in my life because a lot of bad shit has happened in November getting broke up, broken up my um, father passing away in the month of November it's like November has not been kind to me at all and hopefully I can get a win in, in November hopefully uh, but it hasn't been truly kind to me but yeah that, that, that was heartbreaking that was devastating me going from Hampton University to University of Illinois at Chicago Trying to join my father's organization, join that fraternity, getting blackballed, not being able to join the fraternity in my undergraduate years. That was devastating to me. That crushed me. Thought I would never be a brother of Alpha Phi Alpha because of one individual that did not like me. It's fucking crazy. I was the negatives that had transpired, but some of the positives that I do come out of that experience was going back to UIC, I was closer to home. It was another opportunity to reinvent myself, which I did, but I was in a long distance relationship, so I wasn't dating anybody at UIC, but everybody else was booed up at UIC, but I made great contacts with individuals in res life with the RHA. And that's what propelled my career in student affairs, higher education, which I, I'm very grateful for that I'm still continuing on this path of higher education today. Being able to be a resident assistant on campus, dealing with crisis management, crisis situations, looking at those nuggets now of dealing with suicide ideation, dealing with Students that had been survivors of sexual assault. Dealing with all of those things. Smelling just random marijuana in the residence halls. Dealing with verbal and physical altercations. Those are things that I didn't think I would have to deal with. At what, 19, 20 years old? But meeting people along the way. Dealing with these stressful situations. Those were experiences that I will always have for a lifetime going to grad school you know grad schools have their cliques you had the res life people and the non-res life people um, I wasn't well liked there either if I, if I look at it I mean I don't talk to that many people from my graduate experience I did not pick up a significant other in, in grad school or 
undergraduate. Looking at that that span of time, working in the in the residence halls, being learning a different bureaucracy at the University of Kansas, being able to navigate those waters, those were challenging, and then doing graduate work while being on call. Those were challenging times. I mean, I did meet great individuals, great residents that, that lived there. Still keep in contact with them. Not as much as I do. I don't call them on a daily basis, but I do know who they are. And I... I, I want to say that they, they shaped and molded me. Um, did the whole dating thing. Dated two individuals there. Didn't work out. But no ill will towards those women. None at all. Hope they are thriving and surviving. I'm, no one's got their PhD and the other one is probably finishing up their PhD. So I'm grateful for that. Doing excellent things in their life. Also, one of the positive moments was being able to join Alpha Alpha Fraternity Incorporated through the alumni route. Regardless, I still was part of a cluster of, of brothers from um, Upsilon, Capital. So that undergraduate experience, being able to associate with those brothers, and they still took me in with love and, and affirmation. And I'll respect those brothers to, to the day that I die. And they gave me that little bit of that college experience. It was it was great. And being able to connect with the black community was part of like the black student union and being able to hang out with even though they were undergraduate students. I was like twenty two though, so I was I was still young and you had like juniors and seniors, so being able to associate with them as graduate student and then they didn't live in the residence halls, which was great. So I got to experience like my, my graduate school college life you know starting to find myself find my own way experience things so good times and then going on into my professional career I was trying to move to Texas I had a, a strong desire to move to Texas I was going to try and get to Texas through hell or high water, but it didn't work out. I went to Washington State in the middle of Pullman, Washington, right next to Idaho. And I never thought that living in this strange, mysterious place would be one of the greatest experiences that I had in my life. Being able to meet individuals from all walks of life, that's where I met my work wife, that's where I met one of my great colleagues and good friends, even though we sassy to each other, I still got love and appreciation for him. Even though we're part of two different organizations, fraternities, I still got love and appreciation for him. And being able to go through those two years together with them was a great experience. Being able to associate with other people that were not part of the Res Life team, got to hang out with one of the graduate students, one of the working professionals, and then, you know, associate with those that didn't live on campus. That was a great experience. Great, great experience. There were some challenges as well. Being in the middle of nowhere, trying to connect with people on an intellectual level was always a challenge because you're still dealing with mindset of like college in the middle of nowhere. And it was it was challenging and frustrating to like, especially like dating. 
was was challenging uh, from there. So I had to leave, and I wasn't trying to go back home. I wasn't trying to work in residence life. I was trying to get into academic advising, and uh, it didn't work out for me. I was going to try and work at the University of Illinois. That didn't work out. They went with another candidate that was like 20 miles away. Uh, it is what it is. Um, their loss, Layla's gain, when we talk about Layla. Um, but being able to go back to work professionally at my alma mater, my undergraduate institution, probably one of the worst experiences that I had, ultimately, um, as far as the way that the system was set up for me. It was it was challenging. It was frustrating. Student staff was unhappy. Staff members were unhappy. And dealing with public school where money's is tight, it, it was real challenging. It was real frustrating to work there. I mean, people, supervisors did the best they can. I really appreciated and respected that, but didn't really get along with half of my colleagues the other half of my colleagues were cool and that that was disheartening that was frustrating um usually don't like to have grudges against anybody but if you show me that you don't fuck with me then i'm gonna show you that i don't fuck with you and that's how it works so how, how it works it's usually how, how how anything works with me if you screw me over i'm not gonna fuck with you Simple as that. And dealing with that experience, almost getting fired over losing keys uh, on permanent probation. <laughs> permanent probation, which means I had to get the fuck out. And then I, I got an opportunity when one of, I mean, I guess we're not friends anymore because of petty shit, and I wish we could squash that shit. But um, he was staying with me during that time. To get his, uh, get his bearings and stuff. They didn't ask him for no rent. This is how kind I was. They didn't ask him for nothing. I'm trying to get him, get him set and established and try and have his own spot, his own place. But he showed me the job at Loyola. And I applied and I did it. I did well. And then I had to figure out where I'm going to move. And I wanted him to be my roommate, but then there was financial situations that he was going through and I guess I overreacted and that was the challenge from here on out and I wasted the, the person's time that was doing these things and I mean we're not cool anymore and he unfriended me on Instagram so I unfriended him on Instagram as well it sucks but such is life. Then I got the opportunity at, at Loyola. And professionally speaking, that's probably the greatest job that I've had to this day. Uh, the Washington State job was great too, but this has been like the most perfect job for me. As far as the team, the the team dynamic that we've had, it's clearly been the best. Like, I've never had any grudges with any of my colleagues. Uh, my supervisor's great. Everybody is great. And I love that team to death. Um, and they understood my situation where I was trying to save up money to 
live on my own. Um, not trying to have a roommate. So I was living at home, making that commute on the train to Loyola, day in and day out, getting up at 5 o'clock in the morning to do that. And I did that almost for like um, a year and a half. Uh, I did it for like 10, 11 months. And that was the time where that 11th month, that November 16th, 2018, is when my father had passed away. Uh, you know, seeing a person die is probably one of the most interesting, weirdest, humbling experiences that you can ever experience. Just being able to see someone take their last breath is probably the most freakiest thing that I've seen in my life. You can just literally see that light go away from their eyes. I'll never get that image out of my head. And you just know they're gone and there's nothing you can do for them. You just feel helpless. And I guess it's from my res life days dealing with crisis management, crisis situations that my defense mechanism of dealing with crisis just just turned on that fight or flight my my senses became numb called 911 did all the, the proper things that I could do as a, a noble citizen and the paramedics did all that they could do but he was dead he was gone and he was there one day I remember the last thing that we watched was UIC versus Williams and Mary's basketball UIC won that game. He was going against UIC. I don't know why he was always going against my alma mater. But he did. And I remember him watching the game. It's like I didn't realize that would be the last time I would uh, have a conversation with my father. I've had a couple dreams about him. Um, there's one with me answering the phone I hear his voice saying I can't really talk right now I'm talking to somebody I'll give you a call back uh, the other time was him at his own gravesite looking at his own obituary and saying oh you wrote this you wrote this obituary oh it's pretty good he's like I'm doing alright can't complain hope you doing okay love you son and then I woke up and I was just bawling I was just crying just crying but that funeral I mean it was a blur I, I remember speaking I don't remember what I spoke I remember my fraternity brothers were there yeah I mean even one of my fraternity brothers came all the way from Washington State I respect that brother as well coming all the way over to see uh, depart for my departed brother, my father, and then even my colleagues, and this was during Thanksgiving break or the verge of starting a Thanksgiving break, my colleagues came to the funeral, my supervisor came to the funeral, like, I did not expect them to come to the funeral, I, they just 
barely met me, man. And I knew, I knew from there that this was a great team because they came during my lowest point in life to help ease the comfort. Like, I, I, I feel for my mother losing a, a spouse who she's been with for over 35 years that I wouldn't want to wish that on anybody I still haven't responded to people that had texted me I'm sorry for your loss I my mind was elsewhere I was fucked up I do remember my my friend calling me from his honeymoon just to talk to me like he was on his honeymoon well, I don't know. I don't think it was a honeymoon. Because they weren't married yet. They An engagement, something. It was something. There was like an engagement. Not, not even an engagement. They were just on vacation. On vacation. Um, and he called me up. And yeah, that, that, that I appreciate him. I mean, I was fucked up, man. I mean, still fucked up. I, I go talk to a psychotherapist every other week. To talk about the issues that I'm dealing with, whether it be existing as a black man in America, uh, existing, you know, dealing with the grief and the loss of my father, with all the different milestones that come through, like his birthday, Father's Day, like wedding anniversary. The day he died, day he born, birthday, like, my birthday, like, I remember, you know, when I first moved out, because my mom's like, yeah, I feel like a shift and change when move out. I mean, I still didn't live on my own. I, I had a roommate that I met on Craigslist, I mean, he was okay, I mean, he wasn't the greatest, but it was, it did, it did what it had to do, but, you know. Had my space, he had his space, and I paid my rent on time. So, it is what it is. But being able to experience Chicago, um, that was cool. But, yeah, being able to... That, that 29th birthday was, was an interesting one because, one, I was in Tokyo, Japan. And I was with my other brother, Kyle. Who was with me. So we were kind of celebrating our joint birthdays. And I remember we went to McDonald's. And you always have to try McDonald's when you go to another country. I had this, this shrimp burger. And I was like looking at the shrimp burger. Because me and, me and my dad. Not saying like he ate a shrimp burger. But we had like shrimp when we would go to like Red Lobster or something. And it triggered a memory. And I just started breaking down crying. <laughs> my brother's like, yo, what's wrong, man? It's like, man, I miss dad. He's like, man, I know. He came and hugged me and shit, man. Uh, I mean, that, that, it was emotional because I was 29 years old. And this is the first birthday that I didn't have my dad. That I can, he can call me. And it's like, happy birthday. Your ass is getting old. Is usually what he would say. Uh, and it. It's like, fuck, I don't have my dad. It's, I can't hear his voice. I can't hear anything he's doing. I, like, he's not here physically. I feel for my mom. Like, I try and try and be a good son. It's like, I try and do my best. I just sat down crying, but I know my dad would want me to 
continued to live life. Like after he passed, I went up to Toronto. I found inspiration in Toronto. I met some cool people in Toronto, staying in a hostel, telling my story, telling what are the challenges that I've dealt with. And then just started to have that travel bug. Then I went to Tokyo with my brother. I went to London, met cool people over there, went to Tokyo, met cool people there. You know, these are times where I just am just grateful for the people that I built bridges with and built connections with. Um, I'm grateful for for all of those bridges as I, the culmination of this 29 years has happened. And then the pandemic happened and now everybody is at home. Staying at home, not going outside, and then another black person is slain, whether it be a black male, black woman, black man, black woman, black trans man, black trans woman, black, just anything black, just, you just, you just see it, can't jog while you're black, you can't sleep in your car while black, you can't even sleep in your own damn house while black, you can't do shit while black. And that's a frustrating thing as I have experienced in this 29 years and just how everybody is making wearing a mask fucking political when it's fucking scientific when you just wear a fucking mask. You're showing love and respect for others. That's why I wear a mask. My mask is not for me to have this media portrayal of myself being considered a thug or a murderer or something like that. I I have no desire to steal from you, rob from you, whatever. But don't be coming up in my space or else you're going to get these hands. That's how I look at it. You know, respect my space, I respect your space. I don't go around bugging people and, and complaining. That is not what I do. I mind my own fucking business. And that's how I have been maintaining myself. I'm more reserved, more low-key. I'm more reflective. As I'm reflecting now, I have been rambling for about 50 minutes. If you have been fucking with me for this this time being, I appreciate you from that. With all this being said, 29 years has been a blessing. Even though society the world will always tell me that my black skin is not enough if I had to do it all over again being 29 years being able to choose whatever the fuck I wanted to be I still wanted to be Richard Anthony Wallace I still wanted to have my mother and father I still wanted to have both my brothers the relatives that I have issues or not i am grateful for this life that i have right now and god willing being 30 i hope i have a long prosperous life 30 onward i am grateful for the people that i have met i met people from all different walks of life all different countries how i've met people through different mediums 
of social media. Hell, I've met someone on LinkedIn and I've had a great personal relationship with this person. And I love to see where that goes. I'm grateful for that. I am grateful for my mother. I'm grateful for the dog. I am grateful for this life. A hundred times out of a hundred times, I will choose to be Richard Anthony Wallace. I will choose to be a black man in America. Even though through all the bullshit that I've had to experience and possibly bullshit that comes up in the life, I am grateful to be me. I am grateful to have 29 years. I am grateful for you listening to this. This is episode 40. The next podcast will be a video cast. I'll still make like a little conversational blurb. It'll be episode one, season two of episode one. You can see it on my Facebook page. It'll be www.facebook.com slash Perspective. I'll go live on there. It should be saved. Raw, uncut. I don't own any of the rights to the music. So please don't sue me if you are listening. I'm not trying to make no money off of this. This has literally been my personal journal for me. Literally a personal journal. After my father passed, I wanted to make sure that I had something to talk about, something to document something so i did a podcast to talk about whatever i wanted to come to my mind i don't know what season two has transpired something i'll I'll figure something out i I don't know what i will, will speak on i i honestly don't know but what i do know is i am grateful for the 29 years that i have i'm hopefully god willing will be grateful to having 30 to be 30 I'm not afraid of 30 I look at 30 as a new opportunity I look at it as a new beginning a new chapter in the book again I am grateful for you all listening with that being said my name is Richard Anthony Wallace this is a raw perspective peace peace